0: All aboard the Chattanooga Choo Choo. Welcome to Chosen by Committee, the podcast where myself, Josh Heron, Christopher Munden, and John Rosenberg read through every Pulitzer Prize winning play since 1918. So you don't have to. Or maybe you'll do it along with us. Like I said, my name is Josh Heron. I am a third grade teacher who starts school tomorrow. Woo! Yeah! <laughs> um and um, and I'm a theater critic. I'm about to write a theater review this week. So both things are true. It's been a second since that's happened. Um, and I am joined by uh, Christopher Munden. Um, Hello. And John Rosenberg. Hello. And this week we are reading 1941's There Shall Be No Night it is the um for those of you who've been following along very closely it is the last of our uh our robert sherwood trilogy um we each have a uh a, a bound leather ba- like a pleather bound plastic bound book um with all the plays in it that has been very fun to carry around and read um but it's over um and just to put a point on it, that included, uh, I think, 1937's Idiot's Delight, 1939's Abe Lincoln in Illinois, and uh, this week's There Shall Be No Night, which is from 1941. Does anyone want to talk a little bit about uh, what the play's about?
1: I mean, I'll take a shot at to synopsis. It's basically, it's a Finnish-American family, the husband... Uh, his name starts with a K, but he is a nobel prize winning scientist who, when the play starts, uh, we see him and his family. Uh, he is about to be interviewed by CBS Radio on uh, the occasion of him winning the nobel peace prize and it 's very interesting he talks about what he won the prize in, which is studying uh, man 's descent into insanity, which is a very, very interesting topic um, and the play slowly reveals itself to be in Finland on the eve of uh, the Russians invading Finland. Uh, so it's, a, it's like a current event play and we basically watch as time slowly goes on the, uh, the invasion of Finland and the horrifying effects it has on the scientist's family, including his son who goes off to fight uh, his wife who's an American citizen a various band of uh, cast of characters who are volunteers, either from America or from, I believe, England, who had served uh, in the battle against fascism in Spain. There's a couple of Americans. There's also a Polish soldier that escaped. And so as the play goes on, obviously the, the devastating effects of war and what people, I think also, what everyone assumes is gonna happen, and trying to guess what's gonna happen with war approaching. And the play ends um, on a very somber but defiant note of the wife, the American wife staying in Finland and preparing to battle in street uh, combat with the approaching Nazis.
2: Communists.
1: Uh, But no, but remember the pilot saw the Nazis Did he? Yeah, the American pilot noticed the Nazis that were down there with the Russians. So I was just doing a little bit of research. Finland's a really
0: interesting – there's a couple things – well, I don't even know how to get this play started. I I think there is, like, so many things that make this play really interesting. Um, I'm not someone that's, like, super into war history. I know there are tons of people who just, like, the intricacies of World War II or Civil War or whatever just, like, fascinates them. Um, Mm -hmm. while I am like deeply into history, military history like sort of misses me. Um, Yeah. But I do think there's a lot of ways that we could, that a contemporary audience could appreciate this play, um, both as like a written document and as like something performed. Um, That being said, it is very much, I think a product of its time. For me, my enjoyment of it is like very much wrapped up in when it was made. uh, so the play was written in 1941, it recounts events-
2: 1940,
0: I guess. 40, 40, taking, uh, like recounting events that at that time were history, but like, it's talking about mm. like, real events that happened in the year before in 1939.
2: Um, well, it's still happening when it's on stage. So so the winter war, <coughs> Soviet invasion of Finland is, is late 1939, not long after the German invasion of Poland. And, and they fight kind of to a stalemate over that winter. And this play runs runs begins running in April of 1940 when um, when that stalemate is happening. But when yeah, maybe the threat of the Finns still being overrun is is present and poignant. Um, uh, it is a really interesting piece of history and piece of the war. I mean, the fin- Finland's part in world war two is interesting because, um, of course the following year in 1941, um, the Germans would invade the Soviet Union and the Finns would side with the Germans fighting uh, the siege of St. Petersburg fighting against the Soviets. So, Whereas in 1940, the Finns are plucky little Finland, um, brave Finland, and and they're seen as uh, in the same light as the Czechs and as the Poles uh, fighting against tyranny. Um, uh, the US and and Britain are forced to make an awkward alliance with with the Soviet Union, and so and against the Finns, in the sense.
0: And then in the, this. and then in later in the war, in the, like 1944, according to Wikipedia, um, okay. they ended up fighting, they ended up joining the Allies again, and fighting the Germans.
2: Against the Germans, yeah. So,
0: um, Wikipedia page is actually, this is like, I think a fun, um, I'll read the first paragraph. Um, the Wikipedia okay. entry for military history of Finland during World War II. Finland participated in the Second World War initially as an independent country battling the Soviet Union, followed by another battle with the Soviet Union as a co-belligerent with Nazi Germany, and then finally switching sides to the Allies against Nazi Germany. As relations with the Soviet Union changed during the war, Finland was placed in the unusual situation of being for, then against, and then for the overall interests of the Allied powers.
2: Um, yeah.
0: All being said, I think that, which is a, a really interesting sort of historical moment and a historical like uh, a historical moment to dramatize, I think even without the Finnish context like I think if you set the play in Poland or you know another country that was like france like well
2: I, interestingly I read um so he rewrote it midway through the through the Broadway run to um because of the changing geopolitical status and reset it in greece whoa and then that version the version set in greece Mm -hmm. um and that pericles speech that we have at the end of the printed edition is a holdover from that resetting but the printed the version he chose to print was the finished version that version set in greece ran in london from 1943 to June, 1944, when its production was stopped by a V2 rocket hitting the theater and killing a ticket buyer. Jesus
0: Christ, um, Yeah. holy shit. Yeah.
2: It was revived again in the 50s, in 1956, when it was rewritten to be set in Hungary on the eve of the, or probably during the Soviet invasion of Hungary. Um, I mean, Isn't I think,
0: it, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's, a very
2: interesting production history.
0: Totally. And I think sort of speaks to, well, I think Finland is a very cool like window to like start it out. And I think just for like some of the history that you can sort of pick up, if that's your thing. I do think the way it is written is specific to like the really fraught nature of world war II and the early 20 and the first half of the 20th century. Um, but I think handle some pretty like major themes um, in terms of like pacifism, of uh, patriotism of nationalism. Um, I think really like, really deathly.
2: Yeah, I would say, so I talked about that setting in different countries and it is set in Finland, but you know, the, the politics are given to um, a play that, Um, demonstrates America in the current time. And I think this one is that. Like, it's very much an American play. It's, to me, I'm very glad we read read the three Sherwood plays because his first play, um, what was it called? The Idiot's War or something like that?
1: (laughs) Idiot's Delight.
2: Idiot's Delight. (laughs) That's kind of an isolationist play. Um, Kind of both sides are bad in terms of... Uh, the Italians and and the French and English um, war is terrible. Like the, the initial Blitz is going to devastate the world. We see um, Abe Lincoln in Illinois and um, starting to get uh, no, Abe Lincoln is reluctant, but starting to get like reasons why we might fight. And then this is. Um, This is pre-Pearl Harbor play, and it's uh, in 1940 election, FDR is running on not getting the United States into the war, and it's a very, um, it makes a case for intervention, and, and those group of expats at the end, like, how can we not fight? So I think it's a very American play, despite its setting.
0: What did you think, John?
1: Um, I, I really enjoyed the play I felt that um, it was written really well and to me I, I think he does a very good job of you know sometimes people talk about the notion of something being too on the nose where you know if, if you really really research something and you try to just like make it seem so real that it's just too much
0: mm-hmm. I
1: think he does a really good job of setting something at the time that was very current without it necessarily trying to capture, um, everything about it in a truthful way. Um, I feel like the play is timeless in a lot of ways where what it talks about, you know, the question of man, the question of, you know, in the opening scene when the scientist is talking about, uh, you know, the, the illness of insanity, and how in a way, even then, life was becoming easier, like, measles had been eradicated and that but there's almost because life was becoming easier then mental (laughs) illness was like on the rise in a way. Um I I you know at some point there there's an interesting thorough line where uh Miranda who's the American wife you know she has the paintings of her uh of her ancestors and one of them had fought nobly you know in their estimation in the War of 1812. And another one was a Southern aristocrat who paid his way out of fighting in the Civil War. And um, I feel like there's, uh, Sherwood is drawing conclusions and also drawing a large, large picture throughout time about man and this, um, I, I feel like it's a spiritual thing, but he doesn't, he doesn't make it a God thing, but it's, it's almost this battle within man himself and because there's a beautiful speech where uh, I believe it's when they're talking with the German ambassador, dude. And that was a beautiful speech when the German ambassador basically explained the, you know, the, the plan of the Nazis. And he's like, it's not a secret. It's all in Mein Kampf. And, and that really, I, I, it was done so beautifully, but like um, in it, at, sorry, I'm I'm going too far, but at some point there's a speech where, I think the doctor says even after this war is over, what and the, you know, the, the idea of good or bad, this will come again. So I I feel like he wasn't starry eyed in the idea that this battle for civilization, once the good side wins, it'll be over. He seems to be saying something about the nature of man himself, that it's something that always exists. (laughs) It ebbs and flows. And Right. I, I feel like that's something that we can experience now or whatever. Um, but yeah. Yeah,
2: it that begins believe... with that uh, radio broadcast on CBS yeah. that Dr. Gives. And I remembered you um, talking about the first scene of Abe Lincoln in Illinois and the uh, the speech between, or the dialogue between Lincoln and his mentor and the mentor's speech about the... Uh, the five moods. The five moods, and so yeah. looking at the doctor's speech on the radio um, at the beginning of the scene, and like that setting the like this is what this play is about.
1: But you know, it's very fascinating to me, like how it's written. Is it's not from the doctor' mind. He's reading something that
2: he's his reading wife or someone else prepared. No, so that it, CBS prepared. Yeah,
1: right. But so it makes it not. It makes it uh, fake, but in a way, so it's not, it's like the doctor is not, uh, this isn't, this isn't just how he talks, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's a, it's a, yeah, Sherwood is a really, really good writer. I feel like, you know, if we're just talking generally about the play, um, you know, to me, once like the, the expats show up, the play kind of loses focus a little bit.
2: He's not um, very good at drama in any of these plays, like. The plot, well, the drama, the it's—he doesn't have that, but he definitely. I mean, he Ocaro—he is a, I'm maybe like Sorkin, right? Writing like the Social Network, you know. Like he's I mean, a play. Yeah, this guy
1: to me, this guy's way better than fucking Aaron Sorkin. Like to me, it takes not in ways, dialogue, but it takes way more talent to, in my estimation try to capture a world and a worldview without see the problem to me about someone like Aaron fucking Sorkin is everyone is the smartest of the smarts and everyone knows exactly what to say. And they say it so pithy and exact. Mm. That's really not here. Like people, people make statements, they make generalities. Um, He's not really interested in how people communicate. I think, I think you're right that in a way the, the questions of how humans function or or why they do is not necessarily what he's interested in. But I feel like he is a, he's an observer of human beings caught in the large cataclysms of our times in a different way. Do you know what I mean?
2: Yeah. I think, uh, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily compare him to Sorkin in style, but in his the like career of like um you know the west wing i don't know Good Men. what else did he do but like uh plays and okay, shows so, and films but here's about, what's interesting. like the time with like, time, sure, sure, sure. jobs right
1: right but here's what's interesting to me is there there was a place where this play could have taken a very different fucking turn and to me Um, it's in the scene where Miranda goes to the CBS correspondent in his hotel room being like, I need you to get my daughter out of the country. Yeah, And like, to me, that's a great scene for either for him to fuck her or to be like, (laughs) there's a price for her passage. And then it becomes about something very small and uh, selfish and something about like human... (coughs) something about things in a way yeah but he's not that's not the play
2: he's writing no he's no it's not what he's
1: interested in and that to me takes more talent than even though like in a way it's a little less interesting and it's a little more of a survey of things but that takes more talent to me than writing a scene where you know there's a whiff of sexuality or he makes her fuck her or whatever do you know what i mean? Because to me, that, that's like manufactured drama. You know, all the drama that is in this play to me is manufactured by acts of war or man's cruelty, unseen cruelty. I really liked it. I, I
0: don't normally, like, love idea plays. Um, but I, I really, I, I found this really
1: interesting. I do think it's interesting when Christopher mentioned that the play was taken... And basically reworked, uh, you know, take place in Greece and then reworked in the 50s to represent, you know, Hungary before it was crushed, you know, like with the communists. like there's something timeless about the play that it's arguing and looking towards that. Um, I, I really don't have a point, but the idea that the reason why this isn't still produced or something like that. Um, yeah. I mean, I think this play and Idiot's Delight were both fantastic in the same way. Although this one didn't feel as immediate as Idiot's Delight. I mean, I do
0: think that- This was
2: my favorite of the three.
0: Mine too. I really like Idiot's Delight too though. Um, But I do think that the three of them as like, I mean, it's interesting that the Pulitzer awarded all three of them, because I do think of them as a really lovely trilogy. Like I do think that like, um, if like a company was to stage all three in rep or something, I think there's mm. a lot, like, I think there's a lot there together. Um, I also think that, like, there's, like, a, I think there is, like, a, um, like, in some ways, he is, like, the, like, quoting of, per- quoting Pericles is, my dog is being a little, um, like, the quoting. is has an
1: opinion of, as well.
0: The quoting of Pericles can feel a little on the nose, too, right, of, like, is like is that what he's saying? Does he feel like he's like like is he putting himself in that canon? Um,
2: um No, I mean it's he's weird about the idealism and even when he quotes Pericles he says he calls them empty words or tired words or something like that. But they may be empty words, but they still hold something like, uh, and we can't have faith in liberal democracy. We can't have faith in idealism and pacifism, but that's not to say that we we won't still fight for them. What's that line about like the world is a, a great place and worth fighting for something? And I agree with the second part of that statement. Mm-hmm. Do you know that line? Like that's all. that's what he's saying. And and so I even his quoting of Pericles I don't think he's putting himself in that canon. I think he is Josh I mean John is right, like these characters don't know everything and, and they're not meant to know everything and they're not meant to be sure. And that is one of the strengths of this play.
1: But the trick is he doesn't. I forget who gives the Pericles speech. Is it the Nobel dude?
2: Yeah. Uh, No, it's not the no. No, the Nobel dude is dead. Oh, it's a Nobel dude's letter that Mm -hmm. right letter right right before he dies, written to his wife.
1: Like, what I do appreciate the way (laughs) you write your wife. I do appreciate though that like, it's not like he gives that speech to like the ambulance driver who just kind of, like, it makes sense that, like, a Nobel Prize dude would say something like that. Do you know what I mean? Like, he, this dude, he's, Sherwood to me is very effortless in his framing and how people do stuff. Like, and he, he's not showy with it. Well, I do think it's
0: also interesting. Um, one of the things that he did in Able Illinois, that drove me crazy, but I liked more in this, is he, like, misses, like, sort of the big dramatic moments. Like, you don't see...
2: Eric's death or the doctor's You don't see Eric's
0: death. death. You don't see the father's death. You see the moment sort of where the father finds out that Eric's dead, but then he just, like, goes to another room and, like, composes himself. You don't see him writing a letter. Like, he seems...
2: Yeah, he learns about it offhand. He really likes... You him. don't see the, the mother... Um, learning about it, getting married, going off to America. Yeah, I like that too, all of the, it happens off stage. It, it worked for me.
0: Which drove me crazy in in Illinois,
1: but I like it here.
2: He's a peculiar playwright. He's really good, man. Uh, he is really, really, really what good. Is,
0: what does Richard Yates say about him?
2: I wouldn't say that. <laughs> One of my favorite novels has a 50s company trying to pick a play, and they pick a play by um, Robert Sherwood, and it seems like a safe, conventional pick. And I would say, like, I can see how even, like, 10, 15 years later, and maybe especially 10, 15 years later, he is ill-regarded because he's so current. And the play that they picked, the petrified forest was about the great depression, basically, or set during it and a a character based on a gangster. Like, and these plays, yes, they did this in 1956 set in Hungary, but they would have been, you know, Idiot's Delight is very quickly dated. Abe, Abe Lincoln. The vision of Lincoln as the hero is very much a vision of what a political hero is like in 1938. This is about a war that is going to happen, and that we we don't need people guessing what's going to happen. What and I do? So, did... oh. Yeah.
1: What I when I was reading it. I remember when I, when I used to live in Philadelphia a long time ago. Um, I think it was last year. Me and Yael went to go see the, the fucking something rise of Arturo Ui at Lantern Theater Company. What's the um, word? The blank rise? The inevitable
0: rise. Right. Yeah,
1: Yeah. the Breck play. I fucking hated it and I got up and I left it at halftime. It was fucking terrible this play oh. this play should be done now because i what i feel like is so interesting is it's not one of these plays that is focused on the people that do these acts it's focused on you know people that which i feel like most people uh, are in the same boat is we're all not victims but we're all these things are all happening to us and it's interesting to watch a play about people trying to either uh, rationalize, moralize, or wrap their minds around large, large things happening that are outside their control. Um, so I, I when I was when I was reading it, I was just like, "Yeah, I don't know if I want to actually see this fucking play on stage." But like, I I just appreciate this type of work instead of point instead of going to going to the theater and being like those are the bad people this is uh this is a dramatization of bad people and look at them and look how we you know what i mean yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah i mean the german ambassador go. isn't an evil person in the play is he
1: no he like gives passage to him and it's like dude you should get the fuck out or whatever um
2: josh because we're us. gonna destroy the world
0: yeah, I was I was excited about right. the, the
1: Nazis for you. I know that was going to be exciting, dude. It was good, and I feel like his speech was so good.
0: Because yeah, it was. It was. It. I feel like I think that's who about, John like, would be. But I feel like that, like that, it's very cool. Cool. Yeah, cool. It's very cool to have, like, a character, like. I don't want to say it's cool to have a sympathetic Nazi because I don't think that's what I mean. But it's interesting to have a complex um, like a complex character who is talking about the Nazi plot published at a time when we don't know who's going to win the war, right? Yeah. Like, there's something that feels even more dangerous
1: about it.
2: Yeah, and, yeah, um, you can totally see why this won the Pulitzer in 1941.
1: Right. But, but you know, uh, let let me say something <laughs> to bring that up, there's something I appreciate more about that than like you know, I grew up on like Indiana Jones, where all the Nazis are just like fiendish
2: goons in a way, like mm-hmm. stormtroopers.
1: Yeah, I, I feel like that, like uh, that depiction and, and characterization of him, and his explanation. The beauty of it to me is he's like, this isn't a secret, you know? And I feel like that's the thing people a lot of times forget about, like, uh, this, these things that we think are so evil and nefarious and so secretive, but they're not. They're all very, very clear in their intentions and what they're after. And, like, it was a very beautiful capturing of the Nazi dream. That's uh, your memoir, do you like that
2: <laughs> that
0: reminds me of I had a student last year who um, was super into history but and like loved history but was like nine, so like doesn't like there's an interesting thing with nine um uh, like loves history but doesn't have like a nuanced grasp, and so oh yeah, her like book. We we write information books in third grade that you can pick what it's about. So hers is about World War Two, and we talk about like making an exciting lead to like get readers interested. And so I had to help her change this, but the first draft was. <laughs> this is a story of a man named Hitler who had a dream to rule the world.
1: <laughs> I mean, she's not wrong. You know what I mean? I was just she's was like, wrong. ah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Every day, little little Adolf would look up at the sky and think, "Um, "Yeah, who would you be?" As a
2: third grader, he knew. Well, John (laughs) would be the Nazi ambassador.
0: And who would you be, Chris? I.
2: You'd be Miranda. um, I like Miranda. I like her character. I liked um I don't know maybe the Polish guy or the the guy who fought in the um Spanish war I thought that was weird that someone had fought in the Spanish war against the communists and then would going be going to Finland to fly against the Soviets or, or fought against the fascists and then would be going to I mean fly I think that's
0: what I think that's a lot Soviets. of what the play was about is that like how these battle lines were
2: just so like
1: crazy at this time right like
2: yeah and i think that's but i that's I, what, I think
1: it i think it is important to remember the the soviet nazi pact was shocking to the world the world was shocked by that pact
2: that's true that's they true. were and... they were
1: it was an absolute you know it, it went against everything that both sides were saying and like it was yeah shocking. but i
2: know that I know that there was a sentiment on the left against Hitler uh, against, sorry, against Finland because, um, they, they were pro Soviet. And so I find it hard to believe that someone who would be so committed to, um, I don't know, I guess he could fight in, in Spain and not be communist. He could fight. Um, yeah. It ended up being kind of a Soviet against Nazi war, but that's not how it began, I suppose. We're off topic. Sorry. Who would Who would you be, Josh?
0: I I mean I would love uh like I'm dying for a like a like a I wanna I wanna abort this fetus scene. <laughs> um, so I think I want to be Katree. Um, like <laughs> there's some really good moments. With, like, there's a lot of like very like I imagine being very fun of like, you fucking stupid Americans. Um,
2: yeah, that's a good scene.
0: Yeah, there's a lot. Of, um, there's a lot. There's a lot here.
2: There is. I mean, again, I would say. Uh, reading, I was re- annoyed and idiot's delight by how American it seems. It seemed almost like, you know, when you have a a Monday play or probably movie set in the past, and it's so clearly uh, presentist in its moral outlook. And this, this I didn't mind. I understood it as a historical work. It's very much an American thing. So the Finnish people are you know, talking about Lincoln and and phrasing, like, America. It didn't feel like I'm getting a glimpse of a real Polish guy, a real guy who had fought in the Spanish Civil War, a real, like, Finnish family. I thought it was a play. I thought it worked well, but, but it was a play, like, for an American audience by an American... About America almost, about America needing to fight.
0: So next week we return to uh, John Rosenberg's favorite playwright, Thornton Wilder. <laughs> I forgot about that. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I was really. <laughs> I wonder if it, you'll like um, it more. I really like this play. Um, it's a weirder play.
2: Um, what play is that?
0: It's called The Skin of Our Teeth. Mm. Um, I'll read a summary, but do we want any um any predictions first? Yeah,
2: I've never seen it. Um I saw a high school. It's about play. a dentist.
0: Maybe.
1: Nothing I can come up with is that interesting. Okay.
0: About a dentist. Let's see. Um The play is a three-part allegory about the life of mankind. Centering oh. on the Antrobus family in the fictional town of Excelsior, New Jersey. Um,
2: is that South Jersey? That's a good question.
0: The main characters of the play are George and Mark Maggie Antrobus, from the Greek Antrobus meaning human. Their are two children, Hen- Henry and Gladys, and Sabina, who appears as the family's maid in the first and third act, and as a beauty queen temptress in the second act. The play's right. action takes place in a modern setting, but is full of anach- anachronisms, Reaching back to prehistoric times, the character roles or archetypes are emphasized by their identification with biblical and classical personalities.
2: Get the fuck out of here, this fucking guy. (laughs) It sounds interesting.
1: It's another motherfucker who thinks he has to fucking force feed an audience into being fucking smart. Fuck this guy.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Uh, <laughs> uh, you can read another fucking Robert uh, <laughs> <show in play.
1: laughs>
0: um, Well I'm excited about it uh, I'm
1: excited too my friend don't get me wrong
0: No I know um, I saw a Sorry Catherine if you're listening um, I saw a truly horrendous High school production of this When I was in high school um, nice. I don't think I don't actually think Catherine was in it it was...
2: But sorry, Catherine, anyway.
0: Yeah. Anyway, uh, I'm sorry for everyone who had to watch that.
2: Um, <laughs> I feel I'm like it's all... been done.
0: Yeah, it's it's like a, I mean, it's Thornton Wilder, so it's... The, but I um, have never seen it. Quintessence is doing it in the spring, if they are doing anything.
2: They're not doing it.
0: Hot off the presses?
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't know. That's my prediction.
0: All right. Um, all right. Well, I'm going to go to bed so I can be shipper for the first day of school. And good luck. Thank you. Um, all right. Say goodnight, night, everyone.
2: Good night. Good night, everyone. That
1: takes
2: what you say. Step aside, partner. It's my day.
1: Bend an ear and listen to my version. Really solid Tennessee excursion.